You're listening to audio from Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. To find out more about Living Grace, go to livinggracetexas.org. All right. So we are continuing our series, Hard Sayings of Jesus. And what we're looking at are two things uh, as we've been going. I think this is the fourth one or the third. I can't remember. But anyways, what we're looking at is hard sayings of Jesus. And it could be one or two things or both. One that Jesus might have said something that was hard to understand. And so we're looking at these teachings of Jesus and figuring out what does this mean for us? What did Jesus mean? Uh, And secondly, is that sometimes Jesus' words were a hard pill to swallow. Uh, And sometimes it's both. And so today it's definitely going to be the latter, where it's a hard pill to swallow. He didn't exactly mince words or try to, you know, fool anybody. He was very clear on what he's called each of us Here today, as we read in this passage. And so let's read in Mark 8, starting in verse 31. It says this And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him, his disciples, or calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the Holy angels. Did not mince words in this passage by any means. And so today the, the title, if you were taking notes, is how to follow Jesus. And he makes it really clear. He gives us three things in order to follow him, right? He, if you go back to verse 34, it says this, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. So three things. Simple, right? Easy, right? Not hard to do by any means, right? No, these are not easy things by any means. But those are the three. Somebody who wants to follow Jesus. Someone who is a follower of Jesus. A Christian. Somebody who's been born again. Three things should mark their life. That they deny themselves. They take up their cross daily. And they are always following Jesus. So we'll start in verse 35, and then we'll kind of work backwards a little bit. But verse 35 says this, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And so Jesus is not saying that we can earn our salvation or try to. Salvation, as we understand, is only through belief in Jesus that he died and that he did enough and that we can never earn it. Another version of this verse says this, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. 
there's a Bible commentator named Kent Hughes, and he helps us understand this a little more, this verse. He says, the world today says, look out for numero uno. Save yourself. Love yourself. Pamper yourself. Live for yourself. Narcissism is the order of the day as multitudes ease their souls into a living death by the respectable vice of selfishness. Right? The world is very clear, right? It's all about you. You look at any marketing, any sales, anything like that, any sort of advertisement, and it's all about you. Make you look better, feel better, anything, right? The, the, the self-help books, there's millions, if not billions of dollars being spent every year in coaching in different books and seminars in order for you to be a better version of you, and it's all about you, You see, the point Jesus is making is that if you live only for this temporary life, your future will be lost forever. There's no point in following Jesus if you're waiting until tomorrow to decide whether or not you're actually going to live for him fully and do those three things that we talked about. Because this is setting our minds when we're not following Jesus completely, when we're not denying ourselves, when we're not pursuing him, when we're not picking up our cross, what we're doing is just like Peter, where we are setting our minds on the things of man and not on God. Because the more you focus on yourself, your happiness, your desires, the less you will find it, the less you will accomplish it, the less satisfaction you will find in life. No book out there will solve your happiness problem. No coach can get you there because happiness shouldn't be our goal. Happiness should never be what you're searching for in life to be happy. The goal must be joy because joy is sustainable, right? Happiness is gone in a second, but joy stays with you despite the circumstances that you're work or going through, walking through, trudging through, crawling through, being pulled through, whatever you feel like your circumstances are doing. But that's why James says, right, to count it as pure joy. He doesn't say count it as pure happiness because we know we can be happy in one moment and then be totally depressed or downtrodden the very next moment because of some sort of news. So happiness disappears, joy stays And so we must not pursue happiness because searching for happiness is like trying to grasp sand. The more that you search, the more that you hold on to happiness or you try to, the more that it just falls through your hands. You can't hold on to happiness. What made you happy yesterday isn't going to make you happy today. But the Christian life, what Jesus offers believers, followers, is that the joy that kept you yesterday will keep you today and will keep you tomorrow and will keep you a year from now. And no matter the hell that you walk through, that same joy is going to be there and is always accessible for you because it's different. It's not something that is being dis- that can just disappear. It's something that you that is almost in some ways holding on to you because it's Christ. So pursuing your life, focusing on yourself and not truly following Jesus will really ultimately lead you to hell. And this is why Jesus said in the next verse, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Because Jesus knew the desire for success, riches, and comfort would be a really strong deterrent to the call to die and follow him. 
William McDonald, another commentator, said this about this verse. Suppose you could stockpile all the gold and silver in the whole world. You could own all the real estate and property, all the stocks and bonds, everything of material value. And suppose that in your frantic effort to acquire all this, you missed the true purpose of life. What good would all that do to you or do for you? You would have it for only a short while then you would leave it forever. It would be an insane bargain to sell that one short life for a few toys of dust. This is what Jesus is saying, is that investing in this world is not a good investment. Investing in this world that is going to be made new, investing in this world, these things that will rust, be destroyed, these things that make you fulfill you for a little bit, right? You purchase it on Amazon or whatever, or you buy it at the store, and then it makes you happy for a while, then it fades, and then no longer works, and then that money was for nothing, and then you continue to search for the next thing because ultimately you are never fulfilled. You're never made whole. There's no joy in your life. And so this leads to Jesus' next statement. For what can a man give in return for his soul? Another translation says it like this. Is anything worth more than your soul? And the answer is no. Nothing is more valuable. But without Jesus, our souls are doomed. But if we die to ourselves and believe, we can be saved. And our souls can be saved. And so Jesus continues, and he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You see, Jesus is not coming again, and not in his glory, but in the glory of the Father. He's giving us an example of how we, as followers of Christ, should live. For Jesus, it was always about glorifying and pointing to the Father. And so in the same way, right, is that we do not go to work even in our name, but in the name of Jesus. We do not go about our day in our name, But in Jesus' example is that we should do it in the glory of the Father. The emails we send, the calls we have, the interactions with people is that who are we forgetting that we are representing on this daily basis? Meaning, do you realize you are not your own? Do you realize that if you are a Christian, if you've been brought from death to life, everywhere you go, everything you say, everything you do should be an awareness that you belong to Jesus. It's like having a big fat sticker on your forehead that says, I am a follower of Jesus or a, sti- or a bumper sticker on your car. You wonder why, you know, I don't get living grace bumper stickers for us to put on our cars because <laughs> some people in here might have a little road rage. I may be part of that because I don't like slow people, but I try, I'm working on that. But imagine if every single day of your life you had a big sticker on your forehead that said, sounds crazy, sounds childish, but imagine if you had it, follower of Jesus. I love Jesus. Imagine the conversations you would have differently. Imagine the tips you would leave at a restaurant compared to the ones that you don't, because a lot of waiters and waitresses hate Sunday after lunch, because, or Sunday lunches, because Christians are the worst tippers. <laughs> the pastor already got my money. I don't want to give it to anybody else. But like, imagine the way if you drove differently, if all around your car it said this person owning this car is a lover of Jesus. Imagine if every email you sent was finished off with, I love Jesus. 
Imagine every text message. Imagine every interaction with somebody. If they truly knew that you were a Christian, how you would act, respond, be in that moment. But we forget. Why? Because we are not denying ourselves. We are not picking up our crosses. And we are not following Jesus. And this is what it means to take up your cross. Because you would live life so differently But you cannot take up your cross unless you first deny yourself. Denying yourself is denying your dreams for your life. Denying where you spend money and instead asking God, where should I spend my money? God, where should I be investing my money? How many of you have ever actually prayed that prayer? God, should I buy this? God, should I purchase this? God, should I invest in this? God, is this worth going into debt for? You see, a lack of generosity in one's life shows that you see yourself as the source of your money. A lack of giving to nonprofits, missionaries, churches, and other parts of the kingdom shows that you don't realize that you are just a conduit for God and you are not the source of that money, right? All the money in the world is God's, right? He is the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, yet we live our life because we don't deny ourselves in a way as if we must protect this money and hoard this money because we don't trust there's going to be more of it. We don't trust that God's provider, and so we don't realize that we are mere stewards of the finances, and then we are to give and be generous and give away. And so we wonder why we fall into the same trap financially time and time again, because we are the savior of our own finances. We are the source. We are the one that is wanting it. And I'm not saying give here to the church only. That's all I'm saying. This isn't even a giving sermon. It's the words of Jesus, right? It's the things of man versus the things of God. But I love you far too much to not make your heart idols squirm within your hearts. I love you too much to not challenge you and challenge myself in these areas that are most difficult for most people to deal with because I care about your soul and not your happiness. We are messengers of God, middlemen of God. The money is not ours, but when you think the money is yours, it only serves you, right? So you look at your bank account. If it only served you, then it shows whether or not you've been denying yourself. It shows that you may not have been following Jesus in the area. So let's look at relationships. In relationships, what would you do differently, right, if you had that big sticker on your head that said, I am a follower of Jesus? How would your dates end, right? How would your messages look if every text or pic you send signed off saying, lover of Jesus, servant of Jesus, follower of Jesus, hashtag always denying myself, right, or something like that? Like, imagine the conversations that would be different. Imagine the, the limits that you would not cross if that was the, the way that you saw it. And so what would change? Which guys or girls wouldn't even look twice at you if they knew you loved Jesus and acted like it? Which ones would you stop pursuing? Which ones would you stop having relationships with if it wasn't, if you had the sticker on your head all the time tattooed on your forehead? Let's just go tattoo. Why not, right? What about the way you treat family? What relationships should be in the progress of being fixed if you had the sticker or tattoo on your head? What relationships would never have been destroyed in your family? Which people would you have already forgiven if it said on your forehead, I'm forgiven as G- I am going to forgive as Jesus forgave me? 
Like, imagine the, the relationships that would be different. Imagine, right? And this, once again, hard sayings of Jesus. But once again, as I said, maybe in the first week, is that this isn't something that we just are, yes, we are working towards, but it is a standard that we must hit. And we'll get to it later when the grace, when I remind you of the grace that is waiting for you. But if you deny yourself, then you aren't trying to win every argument or prove your point, but love the person and get to know their heart. Then during all of these things, right, let's say all of these relations, your money, everything is fixed. What was happening is that every time that you denied yourself, you were picking up the cross because it should cost you to die to your selfishness and desires. You cannot carry the cross and go after the world simultaneously. You cannot carry the cross and have sex outside of marriage. You cannot carry the cross while cussing out someone at work or on the road. You cannot carry the cross while getting tipsy or drunk. You cannot carry the cross while keeping your money only to your yourself. That's not denying yourself. That's not picking up your cross. And ultimately, you're not following Jesus. You, like Peter, are following the things of the world and not the things of God. You are carrying it, though, when you don't have sex outside of marriage. You are carrying the cross when you're running after Jesus. You are carrying the cross when you don't try to get vengeance yourself, but trust the Bible when it says that God said vengeance is mine. You are carrying the cross when you deny yourself to drown away your problems or live a little by getting tipsy or drunk on the weekends or at a party or at a wedding because why not everybody's doing it. But you deny yourself by saying there's somebody here that if they knew that I was a Christian, if they saw the sticker on my head, then I might be leading them into sin, right? And Jesus said, if you lead one of my little ones to sin, it's better that you tie a millstone heavy rock around your neck and go jump in the lake, is what Jesus says, but yet time and time again, we do not realize that we are followers of Christ, and whether we realize it or not, is that we are carrying the fact that we are Christians every single place that we go, but it's just a matter of whether or not sometimes we hope or hope not people find out, right? Sometimes we want people to know we're Christians when it's good for us, but man, we don't want them to know when it's bad. You are not carrying the cross when your mind is focused on the things of man and not the things of God. And this is why Peter was rebuked. Sorry, He was focusing not on God, but on his own life. He just had this great epiphany. So if you go back to verses, if you're in chapter 8, verse 27, it says this. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So pretty much what happened was in this moment, Peter had this great epiphany shown to him from God the Father. And so then it was like, yes, this is the Messiah. This is the one who's coming to save us from the Roman rule, the Roman uh, bondage that we're in. And so they were like, yes, we knew it was Jesus. We were holding on to it being Jesus. But then Jesus does something they didn't expect is that Jesus then tells them in verse 31 that he must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, and be killed, and then he's going to rise again. And this was completely against 
what Peter and the rest of them were hoping. They were hoping that he was going to announce he was the Messiah and that his secret army was going to show up and take over the Roman Empire. But Jesus said no. And then Peter wanted, Peter was ready to reign. Peter was ready to rule with the king of kings, the Messiah. And so what happens? Peter tells Jesus, and when Jesus says, I'm going to suffer, he, Peter pulls him aside. This is what it's like he yanked him aside is what it says in the Greek. It yanks him aside and says, you don't, pretty much you don't know what you're talking about. He rebuked Jesus. Why? Because deep down, Peter was focusing on what he wanted for his life instead of trusting that Jesus had something greater in store for all of them there that was much greater than just this earthly kingdom. They wanted to be set free from their bondage to the Roman Empire, but Jesus came to do something far greater. He came to bring them from death to life. Hear this, you may think that following Jesus will release you from whatever earthly bondage you're in, but that's not the promise he gives us. You think that Jesus, following Jesus, is going to solve every problem and fix whatever trial, sorrow, suffering you're walking in automatically, and that is not what is promised in Scripture Not at all. The promise is to have life and life abundantly. The promise is no longer condemnation for our sin. The promise is for all of our sins to be washed away. But Peter did not realize the weight of his sin. Peter did not realize what was, was, was coming for him if he didn't believe in Jesus. All he cared about was this earthly reign and rule of Jesus here on this earth. But Jesus had something far greater for Peter in this moment. And so the call was to pick up the cross. The call is to pick up the very thing that would kill you. But here, Jesus is preparing his followers, saying they could die for following him. And a lot of them did, right? Or they actually, they all did in a very gruesome way. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was believed to be beheaded. Tradition tells us that Thomas preached as far east as India, where he died, where he was being, where he was pierced through with spears by four soldiers. Matthias, who replaced Judas, was believed to be burned alive. And there's millions of other accounts of people who have counted the cost and said, may I die to this world and all of its riches and all of its accolades and everything that it wants of me and only live to Christ and Christ alone. Each of these counted the cost and denied themselves. Each found Jesus worth far more than any earthly treasure or temporary gain. One commentary on this verse on picking up the cross says this, to take up the cross meant to identify completely with Christ's message, even if death were to result. We must deny our selfish desires to use our time and money our own way and to choose our own direction in life without regard to Christ. Following Christ is costly now, but we are promised true victory and eternal rewards. See, it's going to cost you in this earthly life, but time and time again, I'll remind you, right, you're not promised tonight. 
You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised next year. You're not promised anything of that. And so it makes you, so the urgency for people, for you to want others to know Christ should be within you. The urgency because you're not promised means they're not promised. And if they're not promised and they're following the things of this world and the ways of this world, trying to build a kingdom in this world that will crumble in any second, then they are forfeiting their souls. And so the question that you must ask yourself today is, have I counted the cost? Have I decided to deny myself? Have I truly picked up my cross? Have I really been following Jesus or have I been following some version of Jesus? The cost is to die to yourself completely. It's to stop putting your... Stop putting you first and instead focus on Jesus. It's completely countercultural, but it will always be countercultural. The way of Jesus is always opposite of culture. Chuck Colson said this counting the cost means being willing to stand firm in our convictions, even if it means going against the tide of culture. Read that again. Counting the cost means being willing to stand firm in our convictions, even if it means going against the tide of culture. Because here's what culture says, right? This isn't going to be news to you, but it may be shocking to say it from the stage. This is what culture says. Culture says love is love. It's not the way of Jesus. Culture says life doesn't start at conception. It's not the way of Jesus. Culture says define your truth, not the way of Jesus. Culture says let me live my life not the way of Jesus. Culture says there are multiple ways to heaven because God is love. That's not the way of Jesus. We don't stand on these statements of belief as if it's all because we're so smart and nobody else is. No, we're standing on it and I'm proclaiming it because it's the word of God. It's not truth that we just found, but rather when we stand on the word of God, it's because God has rescued us in his word to stand. He is the standard of all standards, right? He is the standard of right and wrong is where we find it as Christians, whereas every other viewpoint of the world cannot find a certain standard. It's much more what does culture say and not what does the word of God say, and that is our standard. We stand on it because he is the ultimate standard. He saved our souls. He opened our eyes. It's not loving to let people stay chasing after a world that will be destroyed. It's not loving to not tell people that Jesus died for all their sins. 1 John 4.10 tells us this. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Our job as Christians is, of course, to follow Jesus, count the cost, take up our cross, deny ourselves, but it's also to sow seeds of love, sacrifice, and the gospel. It is God's job to rescue. It's our job. To, it's, not, it's his job to make the seed grow. There's no way that you can convince somebody to get into heaven. There's no way. They have to have their eyes open for they are blinded and they are dead in their sins. And God must bring them from death to life. And then they must hear the gospel in order that they may be saved. That is the way that the scriptures say. C.S. Lewis once said, counting the cost means acknowledging that we are not our own, but belong to God. And therefore we are to live for his purposes, not our own. Counting the cost means looking at ourselves 
for just a few moments to put ourselves to death. Then our eyes only be fixed on Jesus. Because then we get to stare at the one who denied himself so that we could live. How often have you had to deny yourself to the point of death? None. You're here breathing. I'm here breathing. And I don't stand up here the perfect model. Good Lord, you can ask Jamie. And I am always weekly confessing and repenting of my sins to her and ultimately then going repenting to God because I am not perfect. I do not always deny myself. I am not always picking up my cross. I am not always following Jesus. Why? Because the things of this world are so much easier to do and be a part of than sometimes following the way of Christ. But we get to stare at the one who denied himself so that we could live, so that we can recognize the immeasurable joy and countless blessings a life fully devoted to Christ brings. The scriptures tell us all about it. Jesus in John 14 tells us, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Matthew 11 tells us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isaiah 40 tells us, but those whose hope in the Lord, who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Romans 8 tells us, for I am convinced that neither death nor nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 6 tells us, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what we're holding on to as believers. It's not that you're going to have everything that you want in this world. But we have peace like no other person on earth can ever have. We have joy like no other person on earth can have. We have the ability to bring all of our cares, all of our burdens to Jesus, knowing that he's going to help us walk through these because he is fixing the world, but the world is not fixed. And so in the meantime, we hold on and we keep walking and we keep pursuing him and we count the cost. And so daily we deny ourselves. And so once again, if you had a sticker on your forehead, a sticker on your car, how would you do life differently? What would last week even look like? What would last night have looked like differently? What would yesterday have looked like differently? What text threads in your phone would look differently? What history searches on your Safari or YouTube or Instagram would look differently? Because, right, we think that nobody knows, but the fact of the matter is that Jesus is there with us the whole time that we're doing that, wanting to offer us a better life, a better way, and yet we consistently walk away from him and not to him. I can tell you for days, but I want you to experience it firsthand. But you will not experience it firsthand unless you come to Jesus 
by denying yourself, taking up your cross, and then following him, all of which is you counting the cost. And so will you count the cost today? Will you stop trying to find your life and instead just lose it so that you can find it in Christ? Will you stop trying to find happiness and instead run after Christ? Will you realize that without Jesus, you are headed for hell, but you can experience heaven on earth with him today in the life that he's calling us to live? And if you're suffering today, all I can do is to tell you to give that burden to Jesus. He wants to tend to your soul like a doctor does for a young child. He wants to hold you close and remind you that he is working even though you can't see it. And then I want to remind you of Paul's words in Romans 8 as we close. He says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There's a glory waiting for us that when we step into heaven after we die, all of this world's sufferings will pale in comparison. And we can make it because Jesus is with us. You can make it because Jesus is with you. And once again, I want to remind you of 1 Peter 5. It tells us this, to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you can stand with me this morning. I knew this passage would be coming, and I knew Jesus didn't mince words. But what I don't want you today to leave is to leave thinking that I'm trying to push legalism in any sort of way, that you have to do, 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 do. No. Jesus made it clear in John 15 that if you abide in him, right, that's where you're going to find success because apart from him, you can do nothing. If you sit with Jesus in the morning and you sit with Jesus throughout the day and you are praying without ceasing and if you're reminding yourself that Jesus is with you, then you don't have to worry about doing more. It'll just come naturally. When somebody wrongs you, instead of just going off on them and trying to exact vengeance in this moment, instead, you can remember that Jesus is with you and that Jesus died for that sin too, as much as he died for your sin. Because Jesus was so faithful in all of his promises that he had, and he fulfilled every single one of them, is that we can trust that Things may not be going in our timing, but it doesn't mean that it will never not happen. We have to trust that God's timing is better. And so what happens? We deny ourselves and say, God, I trust you. And so I'm going to pursue you and I'm going to count the cost every single day. And these relationships that we find it difficult with certain people is that we can realize how difficult we are as Christians and how unfaithful we are, yet God is always pursuing us. And God is always running after us. And in the same way is that we can have patience with these relationships that just tire you out. And you just wish it didn't even exist. But yet Jesus is teaching us more about him and our need for him in those moments. So what I'm really saying today is just don't do life without Jesus. Because when you do, when you're not following him, then there is no counting the cost. 
You lie to yourself daily. You don't deny yourself. You give in to every craving you have, every spur of the moment thing, not thinking twice about whether or not it's actually beneficial. So once again, I'm just saying that you would live life truly following Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, it means he's in front of you and you're watching him and you're watching what he said. You're watching what he did. You're watching how he reacted and what happened when he was being beaten and ripped to shreds naked. He was silent for the joy set before him, knowing that he was going to bring his sons and daughters of the father and his brothers and sisters into the family so they can experience the same joy that kept him the whole time on the cross. So I'm saying deny yourself because Jesus denied himself. And the only reason you're able to deny yourself and find joy is because Jesus did it first. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We hope this helps you on your journey to glorify God by enjoying Him and making disciples who make disciples.